What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, a COVID antibody trial halted by Eli Lilly, CEO David Ricks, on what happened and what's next. This study was paused a few weeks ago as, as independent investigators looked at the data. They were concerned perhaps uh, patients weren't benefiting as we had hoped in hospitalized settings. What President Trump and Joe Biden need to do to secure victory next week, new data from CNBC's All-America Survey with senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. For Biden, it's, it's interesting. A lot of his lead, according to this poll, come from voters who didn't come out in 2016 and they're young. President Trump has to keep in his base to talk more about the economy. And citizens in the C-suite, what CEOs are doing to get out the vote with Boston Consulting Group CEO Rich Lesser. They're really trying to send a signal that democracy here is an important part of being a citizen. People should participate. It's Tuesday, October 27th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin and the U.S. Equity The World Health Organization has warned that getting the coronavirus pandemic under control may require sacrifice for many, many people in terms of their personal lives. That could include shutting down non-essential businesses or other parts of our economy again. Around the world, at least seven countries, four in Europe, reported record highs in average new daily cases on Sunday. In the U.S., as of Sunday, we have reported an average of about 68,700-plus new COVID cases every day, the highest seven-day average recorded yet. So how long can this continue? Have we made enough progress on therapeutics or a possible vaccine to see light at the end of the tunnel? Eli Lilly's study of a COVID-19 antibody drug in combination with remdesivir was paused and is not expected to continue. It's done. Pharma competitors, including Regeneron, AstraZeneca, and GlaxoSmithKline press on. And that is where we begin today. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Eli Lilly announcing it's ending It's previously paused U.S. clinical trial of its antibody drug in hospitalized COVID-19 patients. The National Institutes of Health found while the treatment posed no significant risk, safety risks, it was unlikely to help with recovery. We're going to talk to Eli Lilly's CEO about that and so much more. In separate news, a study out of England could suggest immunity to the coronavirus is gradually wearing off. Now, researchers looked at more than 365,000 randomly selected people. They found that more than 26% more than a 20% 26% decline in COVID antibodies over just three months. So that's a little bit concerning, especially uh, for those who've had it. Uh, I know I have a couple of friends, unfortunately, who've had it, but they've all, they're also a little bit like Superman afterwards, or at least I think oftentimes feel that they are. And now uh, questions about uh, how long that uh, Superman yeah. status continues. Well, but, Andrew, we need to, uh, we can't just look at the antibody measurements. We need to actually look at how they react to a, a, a new introduction of, of the virus with T cells and with, you still have circulating B cells theoretically that could remake the antibodies. You might not have a titer of, uh, uh, you know, a, a concentration 
of the original antibodies that you made, but you may have some cells ready to make them again, or you may have T cells that have some type of immunity. So I don't know, you know, you just, we need to, this is preliminary, and I'm, God, I'm being hopeful. Imagine if it's, imagine if, if that, you just take that story and it is absolutely true in the worst case scenario. That makes it, that's a very bleak future for, for, for all of us. Uh, hopefully that, that, that's not the thing. The other thing just to mention is this is the remdesivir combo uh, with Eli Lilly uh, that we talked about. And it's a little bit weird uh, that it, it didn't show benefit in patients that were hospitalized, uh, that were more seriously ill, because how are you going to give it to people that are less seriously ill if it's infusion? Right. You, you only can give it if you're in the hospital. Well, and, so how do you do it early on? Numbers, now, the, right. the other thing is that it's not, I don't think the Eli Lilly was that um, cocktail. I think it, remember we've talked to the, the Regeneron CEO about how right. there's two different mm -hmm. parts of the spike that they have in it so that it can't mutate around the spike. What, wasn't the Lilly a single cocktail? So I don't know. I don't know whether remdesivir in combination with it doesn't work. And I'll just say one other thing that, that I took it as it could be, there's a way of looking at this positively because we've ascribed the president's quick recovery to him getting remdesivir right. and an antibody. Right. If Early. it doesn't work, right. yeah, if it doesn't work, then a very large 74 year old nice. man came back pretty quickly with, without <laughs> something that, you know, it um, didn't, if, it, if it didn't work. Without a miracle cure. Yeah, without yeah. a miracle cure, he's out there doing like eight, you know, rallies a day. Um, hey, I don't know. I'm Joe, hopeful that the Regeneron drug is different. I'm hoping that the, the, the cocktail yeah. works. Can I, can I ask one other question? Just, you know, the, the idea of the T cells in your body being able to produce those antibodies again. No, B if cells. B cells. The B, B cells, cells sorry. If, yeah. if, they're able, if they're able to reproduce the antibodies because right. they've seen this before, right. I, I mean, that would be my guess on it. But then you also have the situation of what if, what if the, there's a mutation right. in, in COVID? You know, just like the flu. Like you can right. get just it, like but flu. you probably won't get it twice in one season because it doesn't mutate quickly enough. Right. Probably. Although sometimes there's different strains going around. I just, that's, right. I, I don't know, that's in my head. That's kind of what I'm thinking, but who knows? Right. But isn't there an expectation that we would be getting a, a, some form of a, a vaccine, not just once, but potentially annually? I mean, I, I feel like we've had that conversation oh, yeah. as well. So, well, I don't know. Yeah, let's, let's hope it's not like 40% or 50% like these right. flu vaccines. 75, 80% would be nice. Drugmaker Eli Lilly uh, out with its third quarter results this morning, reporting an adjusted uh, profit of $1.54 a share. That was below expectations. Revenue slightly uh, below as well. And Eli Lilly also announcing it's ending its previously paused U.S. clinical trial of its antibody drug in hospitalized COVID-19 patients. The National Institute of Health found that while the treatment didn't pose uh, significant safety risks, it was unlikely to help with recovery. Join us now. Eli Lilly, uh, CEO David Ricks, and this is the one. Um, uh, thanks for joining us, uh, Mr. Ricks. This is the one with the, with the remdesivir, where we had the pause uh, briefly, then it went back on, and then now it doesn't seem to be beneficial for which class of patients? That, that matters, doesn't it? It does. Thanks for having me on today, Joe, on Earnings Day, and I'd like to touch on earnings. But uh, this study was um, paused a few weeks ago as as independent investigators looked at the data. They were concerned perhaps uh, patients weren't benefiting as we had hoped in hospitalized settings. So these are patients who were, uh, had symptoms uh, many, many days ago. They advanced in the hospital. Many were on supplemental oxygen. 
Uh, this is one setting where we're studying this medicine, and it I think it now shows probably uh, this won't continue in hospitalized in that later phase. On the other hand, we're also um, studying and have very strong results in newly diagnosed patients, so catching the disease early um, where you can reduce the viral load with an antibody appears to be making a significant difference. We're also studying in a large study uh, in prevention and prophylaxis in nursing home settings. So this is one of many studies we're doing. It's disappointing, of course. We would like to have shown a benefit in the hospital. Um, it doesn't appear that that benefit's there. So uh, this chapter uh, of that study will close. Uh, the study will continue looking at other medicines uh, David. as is appropriate. It sounds like the viral load gets uh, to a certain level and, and maybe the antibody is, it does, is ineffective or it, it, they're already uh, too much virus in, in uh, you know, concentrations are, are too high. It's, it's a, not a cocktail, right? We, Regeneron, Regeneron has the spike protein where they've got an antibody to two different areas of the spike protein in case it mutates around it. Do you think that a cocktail, and I know you're, you're uh, developing one of those, I think, as well, is, is that seem to be what, what we're talking about here, that, that, uh, that it needs to be more than, uh, than a single antibody? Is that the problem? I'd be surprised if that's the problem. I think uh, this, is, this was monotherapy. We also have a, we call it a combination of two because it's just two antibodies very similar to the Regeneron approach you, you mentioned. Um, I, I suspect this more has to do with what we now know about COVID-19, which is it's a two-phase disease. You have the initial phase, which is characterized by significant a viral replication and the effects of that on your body causing symptoms. And then the second phase where, uh, unfortunately, people develop uh, their own immune storm, which causes organs to right. shut down and ends, you end up in the hospital. And uh, it's probably, remember remdesivir is the background in the hospital, uh, which also reduces viral load. There may not be enough viral right. load left to reduce. That's how this drug works. Instead, we might want to use anti-inflammatory drugs like right. um, steroids or our own, our own mm -hmm. Illumiant, which has proven effect in this setting. How could, how could you get to earlier patients if they aren't seriously ill and not in the hospital? How, how would you do that? Well, in, it our, seems like yeah, in our study, we asked people uh, to volunteer if they were newly diagnosed, had a new you know, PCR okay. test that's positive, and in particular, those that had high risk, because we know we're going to have not enough supply for everybody, particularly given the current state of this uh, pandemic. Uh, but those that okay. were over 65 or at high, what we call BMI or obesity indicators, um, they, did, they did well on our therapy okay. if we caught them early. So that would be the treatment strategy we're seeking I, with the emergency use authorization. I heard we got hardly any time. I don't know why. But uh, I know Becky wants in. She may want to talk more about the antibody. But I just want to talk to you about your, your results. You said you wanted Absolutely. to do that. So most of the, the shortfall in the top line was due to trulicity, which is, helps your body make di uh, insulin for type 2 diabetes. Why was, are people not getting uh, treatment for things like that because of COVID? Is that, is that the problem? No, that's not the problem. I, I, we, we had a strong quarter. I think this quarter demonstrates the resilience of a company like Lilly. 5% growth, even amidst all the uh, difficulty in the healthcare system. Uh, we do see uh, some dampening and new starts on therapies like diabetes therapy. That's concerning for the long haul. But this uh, miss on Trulicity versus the street expectations was primarily driven by what we prior period accounting assumptions we make about rebates and discounts into okay. government programs. We had assumed those would be back in loaded this year. It turns out people refilled Trulicity pretty aggressively in those government programs in Q2 and Q3. Um, and so we had to put basically two quarters worth of discounts into one. That was the biggest part of the miss. Additionally, we're selling more into Medicaid 
than we thought. And that channel mix uh, is adverse because Medicaid has lower prices, still profitable, but lower prices for Trulicity. We also, Joe, on the quarter, I think missed because we spent $125 million developing COVID therapies. That was never in our guidance. Um, and so the street didn't have that in their numbers. But uh, for the year, we're reaffirming the original guidance for the year, 720 to 740 non-GAAP. And that includes $400 million in COVID expenses. So overall, we expect a, a solid year for the company. Hey, hey, David, just back to the antibodies for a moment. This is kind of a follow-up on what Joe was asking. But if, if we don't know who's going to get really sick and you have to reach them early, that's always been my question with this. How do you know if the people who signed up before they really got sick when they were first diagnosed, if that was the, the, the drug helping them out, the antibody helping them out, or they're just people who didn't have a bad reaction to it? I think that's what the most confusing thing about COVID is how it affects different people differently. And part of it, as you mentioned, some of those comorbidities underlying if you're overweight, if you have asthma, if you have diabetes. But there are other people who are seemingly healthy who seem to have pretty bad reactions from time to time to it, too. Have you made any progress on trying to figure out who's going to have a bad reaction and who's not? Is it something to do with genealogy or anything else? Well, in our, that's still an area for scientific inquiry. But in our study, we pre-specified two indicators of risk, over 65 and a body mass index over 35, which is um, er, you know, obesity. Um, there's a lot of people yeah. that fall into those two categories who get infected with COVID, probably more than 20 or 25 percent. What we did in our study, Becky, was to randomize people uh, to placebo or drug and blinded that. So we know that uh, when they got drug, they benefited by staying out of the hospital, out of the emergency room, and with reduced symptoms and viral load. That was true across both groups, high risk and low risk. But because of the uh, scarcity of supply, we anticipate we want to focus the therapy on the highest risk individuals. For us, that's over 65 and higher body mass index. The idea here would be if you have a new diagnosis and someone you know, or if, that's, if you fall into one of those categories, uh, to seek out a treatment like this so that your odds of advancing into the hospital get greatly reduced. Uh, that's, that's the strategy with this medicine. Part of the, uh, I mean, it's expensive to, to try to, to get involved with all these things, too, uh, at, at a moment's notice, I guess, as well, David. And, and so, so costs were a little bit higher. Uh, that's, that would affect that's the right. bottom line, obviously. Yeah, but on the grand scheme of things, it's a good investment for society, yeah. certainly, and a good investment for us. Um, I think we've proven, if nothing else, that we can go from zero to 60 here uh, very rapidly. You know, nine months ago, we didn't know what this virus was. Uh, today, we have an application at the FDA that could potentially keep a lot of people out of the hospital. Um, I think that's what drug companies are here to do. Take those risks, yep. invest accordingly, and uh, help us hopefully escape from this situation. You, you mentioned earlier uh, in talking about Trulicity how, you know, it, it's sort of very difficult just to understand exactly what's going on with rebates and middlemen and everything else. And we've got Washington with, a, you know, you have a, a huge target on your back from, from both Democrats uh, and Republicans. And you've got this convoluted sort of delivery system with, with the middlemen. Um, we need to keep developing drugs, and it may be the cheapest thing we can do in terms of the, some of these chronic conditions. How do you... How are you going to thread the needle? And maybe more light needs to be put on, uh, you know, PBMs and, and the, the way that it's, you know, Medicare operates, et cetera. Well, it is a convoluted system, and I think we have to make estimates about how all those discounts and rebates, you know, for our company, more than half of every dollar we sell, more than 50 cents on the dollar goes to other entities, to hospitals, to PBMs, as you mentioned, to insurance companies. 
those, those costs lower costs in other parts of the healthcare system, but they haven't lowered costs for patients out of pocket, what they pay at the pump, if, if, as it were. That's problem number one in our healthcare system for drugs. And we want to see those discounts flow to the patients. Um, secondly, I think, as you're pointing out, we could deconvolute this system. On the other side of the selection, we look forward to working with whoever's in power to try to do that because it certainly is complicated, uh, so complicated, most experts can't even understand it. So we're, uh, we're interested in reform and making the system work better for patients, number one, and, and maybe more transparently for everyone else uh, as a second priority. All right, David, uh, we wish you well, and, and we'll see. You're right, after the election, a lot of things need to be figured out in, in terms of, because just to just constantly hear the pharmaceutical companies bashed for, for price gouging and everything else, is, is that it doesn't, that's not productive either. So uh, any, anyway, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Okay. Coming up, a new poll from us here at CNBC reveals that both President Trump and former Vice President Biden have put their chances for electoral victory in some unlikely hands. Those are two really relatively unreliable voting groups. And the head of Boston Consulting Group says CEOs are doing their part to get out all the voters. CEOs in many companies are encouraging people to vote, encouraging them in nonpartisan ways. Squawk Pod, we'll be right back. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Sorkin, along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Becky? Welcome back, everybody. The results of the latest CNBC All-America survey are out. Steve Leisman joins us. He's got some of the highlights. And Steve, uh, how are Americans feeling about the economy right now? They're feeling okay. And I will tell you, Becky, with just one week to go before the election, we'll give you the political results. Former Vice President Joe Biden has an 11-point lead over President Trump in the CNBC All-America Economic Survey. But data from the poll of 800 Americans show there are still ways for President Trump to tighten this race up. Biden leads Trump 50 to 39 in the survey, conducted Wednesday through, through Saturday, so it picked up some of the post-debate uh, time, has shown a steadily growing Biden lead going back to April 5, 9, and now 11. The poll shows that, in addition to his rock-solid base, working in President Trump's favor are... The plurality who say they are better off financially than they were four years ago. President Trump has seen as better for the stock market by a wide margin than Biden. And he's also improved his standing with independence, at least since the June survey. Working in Biden's favor, well, the COVID-19 pandemic is the top issue for voters. He's tied with Trump with seniors and white women, two groups that President Trump won in 2016. And the Democrats of the toss-up voters, according to our Republican and Democratic pollsters, they likely favor Biden. Look, look at the top issues. Voters chose health care and handling COVID-19 as the top two election issues. Those are issues where voters break for Biden. The economy and law and order, they're in the next two slots. They break for Trump. We went down now and left out a bunch of issues. Show you the bottom four. Three of the least important issues, taxes, immigration, and relations with China, are most critical to Trump voters, but they're at the bottom of the list. Climate change, the top issue for Biden. 
also ranks low among voters. President Trump goes into this election with his economic approval rating at an even 47%. That's well below his best days in June 2018, but better than his worst in September 2019. Caution now, a national poll like this with a margin of error plus or minus 3.5%, it doesn't reflect the closeness of the race in critical swing states. That's why CNBC this year also conducts the separate states of play survey. We'll get another one of those on Election Day on Tuesday. Andrew, and you, you can see from this poll that Biden has a commanding lead, but there are clearly ways that this race can tighten up from here. Well, Steve, that, before you go, that's what I was going to ask. If you, if you were to uh, be advising the president to change the dynamic, what would he need to do in the next week based on the work you've been doing here? So um, we're really lucky to have two great uh, pollsters, one Democratic, one Republican. They both agree on this issue. One, uh, the president needs to make the economy a more important issue. Two is they think his best route to success here is to deepen his base. Uh, that is, there's a large cadre uh, or a large group of uh, white, uh, non-college educated voters who don't vote. And he has to deepen his base in that group. For Biden, it's, it's interesting. A lot of his lead, according to this poll, come from voters who didn't come out in 2016 and they're young. Those are two really relatively unreliable uh, voting group. So Biden has to rely on those folks and President Trump has to deepen his base and talk more about the economy. I can't remember September of 2019. What was going on? Why was that the low point for, for the, the economy? The market was down. The market okay. the market was down, Joe. Uh, uh, remember we had that you would big think it uh, would have been uh, this concern year. about uh, liquidity? You would have think, it would, you know, when, when GDP goes down 35 percent, that might be a worse economic time than but that was obvious. It, it, they were extraining. I, I find that interesting, Joe. Yeah, there was a, there yeah. a lot of concern back in September 19 about yeah. recession, but not necessarily about yeah. uh, that came with the, with the COVID crisis. Steve, thank you uh, for that. Uh, join us right now to continue this conversation and what those in the C-suite are most concerned about as uh, we're now, of course, just days away from the presidential election is Rich Lesser, CEO of Boston Consulting Group. Rich, um, when you sort of take the pulse of the boardroom these days or the corner office, What's, what's the single biggest issue you hear about? So I think there are two right now. One is, as it relates to the election specifically, the risk of a contested election and not being able to get to a clear resolution. Uh, I think that weighs on people. Uh, obviously, the, how, how, the, how the votes play out will, will shape that. But um, what happens after the votes are passed will make a big difference, too. And there's real risks there. I think the second is obviously uh, getting control of the pandemic. Uh, we have vaccines coming. It's amazing to see the progress that's been made. It should give us encouragement for the medium and longer term, but the short term battle is not going particularly well. And there's a lot to do to gain control of that. And that has real health risks for many people. It has some societal risks. The economy stayed pretty good, actually right. quite good. I think we'll so, see a good rebound in Q3 numbers, Rich, but there's challenges. Rich, let's break these issues apart. Let's just talk about the possibility of a contested election uh, for a sure. moment, because not necessarily unlikely. Uh, you, you, it, it's almost, uh, I, and I think there's a lot of people who expect there'll be some form of uh, contested something at some point. The question, of course, is how long that lasts. What is that? What's the economic impact of that to the extent you're talking to CEOs who say they're concerned about it? Is there anything they're doing about it? So I think, well, first, in terms of what's the impact, 
obviously there's a societal disruption, a drain on consumer confidence, depending on how it lasts and how it resolves itself. There could be delays in getting a stimulus package through, which I think most business leaders believe we need right now. The first stimulus package made a big difference, uh, but but it's been a while and we'll need it. We'll need a second one. Uh, third is we need to have strong alignment of messaging to be able to roll out vaccines effectively, get the pandemic under control. And then there's obviously geopolitical instability and a concern about the legitimacy of democracy in the U.S., depending on how that, how that plays out. Uh, so those are the elements on people's minds. I think CEOs in many companies are encouraging people to vote, encouraging them in nonpartisan ways to uh, be poll workers or to contribute to society. I think they're really trying to send a signal that the democracy here is an important part of being a citizen. People should participate. People should make it easier for their fellow citizens to participate and, and to really represent uh, what the values of the country are at this critical time. By the way, Rich, do you think this is a, a singular event, meaning there's a one-time moment where the business community is getting behind voting? As you've, as you've noted, there are a lot of companies that are, are allowing their, their workers the day off. There are people giving them time off this week in certain states where they can actually go to the polls already. They're encouraging uh, people to do mail-in ballots. Do you think that's, this, is, this is going forward, or this is such a particularly unique election uh, that there's a, a view, uh, you talked about democracy being at stake, uh, that, that, that CEOs are stepping up in this way. I think it's actually the beginning of a longer-term trend. Remember, we've had the whole racial equity and justice uh, crisis that's emerged in recent months. Many companies have made longer-term commitments to have impact there. Part of that is encouraging people to exercise their rights and to vote. It may be a bit extreme, uh, this year, the focus on it relative to what it might be in future cycles. But I think we'll see an ongoing emphasis on participation. It's healthy. It's healthy for the country. It's right. healthy for companies to be seen promoting it. And then, Rich, in terms of, of, of COVID and this pandemic, you talked about vaccines. If you were to average out, if you, if you were to, to think about all the conversations you've had with CEOs that are your clients right now about the timeline with which they're thinking about when a world goes back to some semblance of normal, what, what would you average that out to be? Do you think people think this is a first quarter event, a second quarter event, a third quarter event, even a fourth quarter event, 2021 or longer? So I think you first have to separate the economy and controlling the virus. If I just focus on the health aspects of it, we believe that the optimistic case, meaning things go well, the viruses are approved, the rollout's effective, uh, and 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 consumers right. are willing to take the vaccine. Is that Q3? It starts to feel normal uh, and more normal, and we're getting the pandemic under control. We believe in the next nine months we'll, we'll make progress. That's the hope, uh, and and I think and I'm optimistic in that. But there'll be a long way to go for people to feel safe right. and going back to leading what we would consider normal lives. Uh, that that's more the latter part of next next year or if things don't go as well the beginning of the year after. Okay, uh, Rich, we appreciate it. Q3 2021, I think that that's your optimistic take. I think that's pessimistic for some people, but uh, um, let's, let's hope we get there sooner than later. We appreciate uh, your time this morning as always. Next on Squawk Pod, Proposition 22 on ballots in California this election season is putting citizens in the driver's seat to determine benefits for rideshare workers. We're back with more after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older 
like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. Uber and Lyft, they're sparing no expense to convince California voters to back them at the polls. It's called Yes on Prop 22. It's a group that wants gig economy companies to be able to classify drivers as contractors. They spent nearly $4 million in the past month on Facebook ads. It's more than any other political campaign, including for president, if you can believe that. The proposition would exempt the ride-sharing companies from a state law forcing them to reclassify gig workers as employees, guaranteeing them benefits such as overtime. It's a debate we've had so many times on this program about whether drivers should be considered contractors uh, or should be considered employees and get the benefits that come with that. Becky? Andrew, this seems like it's the, actually the final countdown, though. You know, there have been so many yep. times when they thought they were going to have to do this, they've kind of dodged it, gotten other ways around it. But this, this is it. Either, either it, it passes or they're going to have to go ahead and move forward and pay these people benefits, right. give them paid time off. Um, <clears throat> I think there's a stay for 30 days, but that was 30 days, and the countdown clock on that was probably a week ago. So probably three weeks and counting, you'll find out whether or not these companies yep. actually have to do that. And, and what that means to their business model is going to be something else, too. I think the business model is going to change is what's going to happen, probably. I mean, I think... For the most part, the cost, of a, uh, the cost of the drive in the state of California is going to change so materially that it would probably diminish the use, of, the use of these things. And I think that's the other component of it when you start to think through all the permutations of what happens. That's Squawk Pod for today. On our rundown tomorrow, Robinhood co-founder and co-CEO Vlad Tenev. The free stock trading app has been on a tear in 2020, opening the door to a new generation of investors. Now that the barriers are lower, allowing so many more young people to participate, it's clear to people that it's not just for the wealthy. Robin hoodies have moved to the markets in this odd year, and the company's leaders rarely do interviews. Don't miss this one. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, still working remotely from three separate locations and really feeling 2020. I wear clean clothes here, but when I go home, I have a uniform. A uniform? A maid's uniform? A little French no, number? Oh That'd be cute. <laughs> You are. You, you, you are surprising. No, jeans, a shirt, and then a shirt over a shirt. Same thing. Every. Well, you know what? Honestly, honestly, underwear sales are down in a lot of places. So that tells you a little bit about what people about do those buy, jobs, buy and don't buy. Those jobs at the return counter for underwear that you told us last time? Let's move on. Let's go to break. On TV, tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 